But here we are in our Christmas series, and it is entitled Arrival. Arrival. And the past few weeks, we've been unpacking the Christmas story, haven't we, through the lens of these oh-so-popular superhero movies. Why have we been doing that? Well, it struck me as I was thinking about the Christmas story that uh, way before Marvel movies of superheroes coming from distant planets to save us, there was Jesus coming from heaven to earth to save mankind. You know, way before sci-fi movies of distant visitors, there was God himself coming to that which was his own. And as I said last week, the problem with the, the Christmas story is that it's become so familiar to us that we go, oh, isn't that nice? The little baby Jesus, lovely. And then we go to the cinema and we see these movements and we go, wow, isn't that amazing? Somehow Hollywood has stolen the narrative from us. The most awe-inspiring rescue mission mankind has ever seen from that moment when Jesus came to earth, God with us, Emmanuel. And so what we've been trying to do over these past few weeks is break out of the familiarity of the Christmas story and allow God's reality to break in. And in so doing, trying to uncover some truths that up to this point we may not have seen. So part one, the first week in catch up, as we have re recap, was in the beginning, looking at the backstory. You know, who is Jesus? Because the Christmas story didn't give birth to Jesus. Jesus gave birth to the Christmas story because in the beginning was God. And then part two, we looked at first contact, the question of where are you? And then last week, we looked at part three, the journey, the journey that Mary and Joseph took. And we uncovered three similar characteristics that resemble all of our journeys with God. And there was some truth in there. So, where are we now at part four? Well, if we track the superhero movies after the journey, what happens? It is the arrival. Well done. Be paying attention. Very good. The point at which the superhero arrives on the scene and the battle ensues. We know that moment, don't we? Saving the day and setting the people free from their enemies. That's how it works, isn't it? A colossal battle. And indeed, our story has... An arrival too. And so therefore, this week is entitled Part 4, The Arrival. And what I'd like us to do is turn together to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to read verses just 6 and 7. And then we're going to, as we continue through the talk, look at other pieces of scripture. I'll be on the screen, but of uh, Luke chapter 2, 6 and 7. Let's read this together. Of course, Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. What a lovely part of the story. You know, the thing about superhero movies, I have to say, is that they are unremarkably remarkable. They are unremarkably remarkable in the arrival of the superhero. You, are, you expect, don't you, the awe-inspiring special effects, these remarkable things. You expect that they come in the similar pattern that they do. Firstly, that everyone looks up in eager anticipation 
as if you can hear a collective sigh of relief. Phew, they've arrived. Here they are, our saviour. He or she is the one we had hoped for. The adoring fans, do you know the scene in New York City or wherever they are, looking up to the skies. Phew, there he is or she is. And secondly, the arrival always comes with the most tremendous battle scene, yielding their superpower for everyone to see. Ooh, look how strong they are. Wow, look how fast they are. They are all so unremarkably remarkable. But the arrival of the true saviour of this world is remarkably unremarkable. Rather than arriving to an awaiting crowd of fans, Jesus arrived to a place where there was no space for him. Rather than arrive to a world looking for him, he arrived to a world which did not know him. And instead of arriving in the sky for all to see, he arrived in a lonely manger, hidden out of sight. Remarkably unremarkable. And the battle? No battle. What? But where's the battle scene? Who will save us if there is no battle? You see, the Jews were waiting for the Messiah to come and battle with the Romans. They were waiting for the Messiah to come and reestablish the kingdom, the physical kingdom of Israel. That's what they were looking for. And indeed, other so-called messiahs had risen up before. We had the Maccabean revolt that came up only 150 years before this. A so-called messiah came, but it came to nothing. They fully expected, you see, a king to arrive on a horse with a sword in their hand. But instead, Jesus came to bear nails in his hands. You see, they expected their Messiah to come and bring judgment. But instead, Jesus came to bear judgment on a cross. Why? Why? Because if Jesus had arrived in judgment, all of mankind would have been wiped out. You ever thought of this? Why? Because the sin issue in us had yet to be dealt with. While the Jews, you see, were looking externally at the enemy, the issue of sin, the enemy, was within. That's why it says in John 3, verse 17, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, because if he did, we'd all be found guilty, but to save the world. That was what marked this arrival. You see, if he came with a sword in his hand, we would all face death. And so Jesus' arrival wasn't marked with the battle they expected. It was remarkably unremarkable. But instead, he arrived. Why? To bring peace to all mankind. Peace with God. How? By bearing our sin on the cross. By him taking the penalty that should have been due us. This was his mission. That was what he arrived to do. And actually, this is where I want to get to. If we get past the familiarity of the nativity scene with the shepherds and the wise men, if we dig down deep 
into the reality of what actually happened those 2,000 years ago in that night in Bethlehem. We realize that the arrival of Jesus was a prophetic declaration of what was to come. For we see in this story that he arrives to three groups of people, which represents us today, which represents all of us in this place. And that's what I want to look at this morning. Who does he arrive to? The three categories of people. Number one, the insiders. The insiders. You see, we read, didn't we, last week in part three, the journey that Mary and Joseph had to go back to Joseph's hometown for the census. For he was part of the line of King David, the line of David. And so he had to go back to Bethlehem. And indeed, Jesus had to be born there to fulfill so many prophecies and fulfill the prophecy that the line of David would be established for eternity. And what did he find then when he went to his own? Was there a welcome party? No. Were there adoring fans? No. Were there open arms? No. They came knocking. Any space? No. Is there any room in the inn? No. You see, this prophetic knocking on the door is what Jesus is doing right now. How do we know this? Revelation 3.20 says this. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And you know, we often use this verse, don't we? For those that are yet to confess a faith in Jesus. And indeed, that is true. But this verse is not about that. You see, if you actually read this properly in the context, Jesus is standing outside the church at Laodicea. His church. Those on the inside. You see, Jesus is still arriving today, this Christmas season. And for many of us, he comes a knocking, and there's no room at the inn. We've somehow squeezed him out. You know, we can look at this story, and I have so many times, it's, oh, if, if, if they only knew that Mary was bearing the Savior of the world, they would make space for him, surely. If only they knew that Jesus was about to be born, they'd make space in the best room in the house, surely. They would have put time aside to be in his presence, surely. Really? You know, as I've been spending time looking at the insiders, and I am one of them, as indeed many of us are, I know my biggest challenge is making space for Jesus making a space for him to be center in my world. You see, when life gets busy, it's like the rooms get full up. And when Jesus comes a knocking because he wants to spend time with me and saying, I'm really sorry, there's no room at the inn. And it's not that Jesus isn't there, it's, but I've let him reside in the stable outside. And I go visit when I need to. You see, as long as I feel like Jesus is semi-comfortable with the arrangement, then I feel semi-comfortable about it too. 
And I've had to look at this story with fresh eyes and say, Lord, would you forgive me when you come a-knocking and I've been too busy for you? Would you forgive me, Lord, when you've been coming to arrive in my world and my rooms are full? And they might be full of things like anxiety. It doesn't need to be busyness. They might be full of your own stuff. Well, oh, I've got my own thing to do on Sunday morning. I'm always busy with people. And, and Jesus said, but here's a space. But yet we're comfortable with Jesus in the stable. And so I think the challenge for all of us this Christmas season of those that are on the inside is, have we made space for Jesus? Or have we let him go into the stable where we visit occasionally? But Jesus arrives at the second group of people. We've seen the insiders, but who are next? The outsiders. The outsiders. Let's read this. Luke chapter 2 as we continue our story. Verses 8 to 12. I love this part of the story. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. I love that. I love that story. Now, here's the thing we've got to understand about the shepherds, you see. In their day, the shepherds were the outcasts of society. You see, what we've got to understand about shepherds is that they handled and lived with sheep for an extended period of time. That's why they were out there at night time in the fields. It's not like they, well, they left the sheep and said, right, let's head to town for a drink or, or check into the inn. They stayed with the sheep all the time. And this made them really smelly often disheveled looking, and so they were looked upon by the rest of the populace with disdain. And to add to that, and I want us to get this picture, the shepherds often came in contact with blood, and that was a, not a good thing for Jews, because the requirement of the law, that meant that made them unclean. And so until they were ritually cleansed, we've got to understand, these shepherds couldn't even set foot near other Jews. Jews wouldn't even touch them, and the shepherds wouldn't be able to go and worship. Here we have the outcasts, the outsiders looking in. You can just imagine the scene. There they are on the hill nearby, seeing all the throngs of merriment down there in town. And here we are, always forgotten, always on the sideline, knowing about it, but not being able to come. And what do we see? Messengers were sent to proclaim the good news to the outsiders. Are we going to take the good news of Jesus' arrival and spread it to those on the outside this Christmas? You see, we have our part to play in the arrival. There are so many that we know, our neighbors, our friends, who are nearby. Are we going to proclaim the good news of Christmas to them? Or is it just for us insiders? No, Jesus came for the outcasts. They felt like they missed it. And yet, God sent his angels to proclaim the good news. 
my prayer for myself personally, and I'll be honest, I get nervous sometimes talking to people about Jesus. Really, you're a pastor. I know, but I'm human. (laughs) Am I going to take the opportunity this Christmas to be that messenger and proclaim the good news and say, did you know why Jesus came? He came for you. He came for you. But he also came for the third category. So we've seen the insiders. We've seen the outsiders. Who is left? The distant. Those who are far off. Let's read Matthew 2 as we continue this wonderful Christmas story. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. You can turn with it with me. It'll be on the screen as well. A, A rather larger passage of scripture for us to read. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born, the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was distressed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. They returned to their country by another route. Oh, so familiar story. The wise men or kings come in from the east. But let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's dig into this. Who are these magi? Well, as I said, they're often regarded as kings and wise men, but actually they weren't. They were a priestly caste in ancient Persia, and they were followers of Zoroaster, what a name, the Persian teacher and prophet. And you see, as part of their religion, these priests paid particular attention to the stars, and they gained an international reputation for astrology, which was at the time a highly regarded science, you see. And so you see, what these priests would do is they would spend their time looking to the heavens for a sign, for something about God. (laughs) I love this. And yet, in that moment, the true God broke into their world and gave them a sign. They were looking elsewhere. They were distant and far off. And yet, God broke in. For God came 
for them too. You know, I grew up um, most of my life thinking that I was half Greek and half Turkish, uh, half Greek and half Armenian. Greek on my mum's side and Armenian on my dad's side. But when I was a teenager, just after my mother's um, father, my grandfather, died, I found out that actually that wasn't true. A bit of a secret in the family that my granddad wasn't a Greek Cypriot, born a Greek Cypriot as I had thought, but in fact he was Turkish. He was born uh, in Cyprus as a Turk and as a Muslim. And... um, At the time in Cyprus, it was under British rule, and the Turks and the Greeks lived in peace. And um, his father was a policeman, and he got murdered. And his mother, uh, my grandfather's mother, died young. And so he and his sisters were adopted into a Muslim family. And uh, he was looking for adventure. He wanted to do something different. He knew there was something more. And and so uh, World War II broke out, and he was 17 at the time, slightly too young to sign on, but he managed to doctor his papers, and um, he joined the British Army, and he was posted to Italy. And so my, my grandfather was sent to Italy, and he fought the war, and he was captured by the Germans, and he and a, a friend of his, a private, were, was, uh, was sent to this prisoner of war camp. Anyway, they managed to escape. There's a whole other story there. They escaped. Well, actually... His friend escaped first, but they had a pact that said if any of them to escape, they would come back and get the other one. And so my grandfather's friend came back and and rescued him. And uh, they were duly promoted in the ranks. And uh, he was still looking for something different, something more. And they were posted to El Alamein in Egypt on the front line. And my grandfather was very cocky. (laughs) But all of a sudden, he started seeing all his friends dying on the front line. And all of a sudden, he woke up one morning and said, I can't die like this. I've heard about this Jesus. I need to find him. And so my Muslim grandfather went AWOL from the army. And he had some friends, friends' friends, who knew he lived in Alexandria, which is in Egypt, a city about an hour and a half away from El Alamein, and he went there and found these Christian friends and said, I need to know Jesus. And they said, well, we can't help you, but the bishop of Alexandria, the Greek Orthodox bishop, will send you to him. And so my grandfather went to this chapel, this church in Alexandria, and this Greek Orthodox priest discipled him for three months. And at the end of that, he was baptized. And his name was no longer Kamal, but it was Gideagos. He was no longer a Muslim. He was Christian. He then left and went back to the front line, and they duly promoted him again. (laughs) But then war ended, and he went back to Cyprus, and and everyone had found out what he had done. And he... uh, went and started dating my grandmother and all the Greeks were like, wait a minute, he's a Turk. And all the Turks said, well, wait a minute, you can't be Greek. Anyway, they ran away and eloped and got married. 
and they had a couple of kiddies. My mother was young at the time, my, my uh, uncle was older. But then they started getting death threats, threats because he had said yes to Jesus. And so in the cover of night, they escaped from Cyprus in a boat. And then in a train, another boat, and they eventually wound up in England, where they started a new life. Fast forward many years later, decades later, just before my grandfather died in mid-90s, and my, my grandfather and my grandmother, she's still alive, she's 92, they traveled to Alexandria, and he visited for the first time the church where he was baptized. And then they went to Israel, and they both got baptized in the River Jordan together, only 90 miles away from Bethlehem, where Jesus arrived for my granddad. You see, this Christmas message isn't just for the insiders. It isn't just for those that are nearby and have heard the message. It is also for all men. Because all men are seeking, all men and women are seeking for God. And our prayer this Christmas season should be that God breaks into their lives. That even though they're looking in one particular direction, that the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings would send a sign. That is the hope this Christmas. It says in John 14, 6, I am the way, Jesus says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, if this wasn't the case, then there was no need for Jesus to die on a cross. If this wasn't a case, then Jesus was a foolish man. But the Christian truth this season is that Jesus is the only way to God. And if you're here this morning and you are distant, you feel like you're far off, I want to tell you that Jesus has paid the price for you this Christmas season. That you can have a relationship with God for eternity. And as we celebrate Christmas together, this message is the saving message for all of mankind. And so there are the three categories, the insiders. For many of us, that's us. Are we going to make space for Jesus this Christmas? The outsiders, those that are nearby, are we going to be the messengers and proclaim the good news of Jesus? And to those that are distant, those that are far off, are we going to pray that they meet with Jesus? And lastly, what was all of these guys' response? What was the result as Jesus came and arrived? Peace with God. You see, the outcasts, the shepherds, they were now able to be in the presence of God. <laughs> the prophetic sign of what was to come, that Jesus was to cleanse all of us so that we could bow our knee to Jesus. Those that distanced the wise men, the, the magi, the priests, what did they do? They came and they worshipped. And they bowed their knee and brought their gifts. And what do we see in this sign? Not only peace with God, but peace with each other. Where before the outcasts had to stay far away, here they were with the insiders. Where before those that were far off would not be able to come and worship God. Here they were together with 
the insiders. And that is true peace this Christmas. You see, true unity comes as we all worship Jesus. And that is the promise this Christmas. I'd like uh, the band to come up. But you know, it would be remiss of me if I didn't end on this and say that this arrival is arrival part one because there is arrival part two. Because we do know that Jesus will arrive again. <laughs> Jesus will arrive again. And this time, he will arrive in the sky for all to see in all his glory. This time, he will arrive on a horse. And this time, he will arrive in judgment. Because you can't preach about the Christmas story if you don't preach about arrival part two. Because the Christmas story is not a passive story. It re requires everyone to respond. Because there will be a time when judgment will come. And we have to make a choice. And I want to tell you, I want to say this morning, if you're here this morning and you'll say, well, I'm an outsider. I've yet to say yes to Jesus. I want to tell you, Jesus came in peace. He came and bore your sins on a cross. But let me tell you, he will come again in judgment. And every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. Where are you going to spend eternity? Are you going to spend it with God? Or are you going to spend it without him? This Christmas message is a message of redemption. It is a message of saving mankind. It's a message of saving you. And I want to say, if you here this morning have yet to say yes to Jesus, this is your moment. I'd like us all to stand. We're just going to wait on the Lord now and just see what he wants to do. We have some time on our hands. Thank you, Jesus. I want to pray for the three groups of people, the insiders, the outsiders, and the distant. If you're an insider, if you're his own, and yet you recognize that you need to make space for him this Christmas, I want to ask you, I'm not going to ask you to do anything you know, crazy, but just put your hand on your heart as a symbolic act to say, I want space in my heart for you this Christmas. Forgive me, Lord, where you have knocked and I've said there's no space. And I want to pray for you guys now and myself. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, would you forgive me and forgive us where we have responded to your knocking by saying there's no room in the inn. Where we have felt, Lord, we have felt that drawing and yet we've put excuses in the way because we got busy with other stuff. Forgive me, Lord, where I have done that. I repent 
and ask for your forgiveness. And you might want to just pray that in your heart too, if that's you. Lord, I pray this morning for myself and all of those who are responding that we wouldn't get so semi-comfortable with you being in the stable, but yet, Lord, we would get uncomfortable with that and we would beckon you in to our hearts this Christmas. Would this be a Christmas like no other? Would you arrive in a way in which you've never arrived before? Come, Holy Spirit, come now and break in and break through us. Thank you, Jesus. I want to pray now for the outsiders. If you're nearby and you feel like you've been watching from the outside in and you've yet to say yes to Jesus, and I want every head bowed and every eyes closed right now, if that's you and you want to say, yes, Jesus, I need you this Christmas and indeed for eternity, can you just raise your hand so I can see? I'm not going to ask you to do anything crazy like come out to the front, bless you. I'm not going to ask you to say anything aloud. But if you want to accept Jesus as your Savior this Christmas, then put your hand up. Bless you. Bless you up there. We've got time. Bless you up there. Bless you up there. I see your hands. Bless you. Keep them hold up for a moment. Jesus came in peace so that when he comes again in judgment, he looks at you a holy. That's the Christmas message. There is only one way to the Father. Okay, you can put your hands down. Bless you, all those guys. What we're going to do now is we're all going to pray this prayer together. And you pray along. Lord Jesus, let's all pray this together. Would you forgive me? For I recognize I am a sinner. Forgive me for my sins. And wash me clean. Thank you, Jesus, that you came for me. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be Lord of my life. I pray, Lord Jesus, that your righteousness would be given unto me. Thank you, Jesus, that I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. In your name, amen. Bless you guys. For those of you that prayed that prayer, we'd love to give you a gift and speak with you. My right, your left, the team would love to do so. And if you're distant and you're not even in that place, my prayer is that as you keep searching, for we are all searching for God, that you would find him this Christmas season. Let us worship together. Thank you, Lord. Joy.